Culture and Psychology with Tabana. A very warm hello to our Radio Bomb Dad listeners. Uh, another culture, uh, psychology and culture uh, session with Dr. Daniel Rockers and Dr. Alexandradi. And today we want to talk about a language, which is a important and big part of the culture and how immigration can bring many issues regarding the language, especially raising kids in another country. And I'm sure many of our listeners, whether young and old, uh, they have experienced this either themselves or their children or someone they know. So today we want to talk about what it means when you lose your mother tongue or you can listen and understand, but you can't speak it. And I'm sure this is something that uh, many of our generation who emigrated to the United States or other parts of the world, we have experienced this. And I have many examples, especially teaching uh, students uh, who um, came from other countries. And I had many of them in my classrooms and also dealing with many patients who are multicultural or bicultural, and they have issues with their children not knowing their own culture and their own languages. So I want to open this conversation today with Dr. Rockers and Dr. Andrade. Welcome to the Culture and Psychology again, Dr. Rockers and Dr. Andrade. Thank you. Thank you. Language introduces us to culture. And it's a popular theme. I totally believe that it is true. When we understand the language, we begin to understand the culture because we understand how people think. Our language dictates or tells us how people think. Carl Sagan, the scientist or the, yeah, the famous astronomer had a quote that I love. He said, science is more than just a body of knowledge. It's a way of thinking. And that to me tells us more about culture, our language tells us about culture. It's a way of thinking because the way sentences get structured and tend to be structured tells us a lot about prevailing attitudes, beliefs, systems, and so forth. Alex, do you agree or disagree with that? I, I completely, yeah, I completely agree too. I think it was for me fascinating when I was, uh, the several attempts that I've had in trying to learn Spanish, um, the, the rules of sentence structure um, allowed me to kind of along those lines understand like where's the emphasis and so a lot of times uh, from what I've learned and again I could be wrong because obviously I haven't become fluent <laughs> is that the way that Spanish for example is it's a lot of times backwards compared to um, how English is so the, the structure and the formatting being very different means you have to think about things a little differently. And, and that was very helpful in the Spanish that I did learn in understanding, okay, where, you know, how are, how are they approaching things? You know, what's that look like in, in a conversation? Um, and yeah, it makes you appreciate, you know, that, that comes with a very likely a very different worldview as well, which can be uh, so interesting. We just assume it would be the same, but different wording, but it actually can be very different. Yeah, and we might not even be able to imagine how different it is if we've never been outside of our... You're, the way you described it, too, is interesting as well. You said that the way that Spanish is is backwards from how English is. And another way of saying that is we 
English is backwards from how Spanish is, depending sure. on one, yeah. you know one central point, centralized point of view. That I saw that when I studied Russian too. Mm. This is many years ago. We did a total. I did a total immersion course, but I remember somebody in class asking something which reflected one's own centric view. His own centric view is like he says about the Russian language. Did they get it from? this word or from that word and she says no that was their own word we got it from them type mm. of a thing <laughs> interesting take yeah 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 and I, I did not intend that in a negative way too i think it's it's it points out that we we can't help but see the world through our own central experience and and sometimes i think that can be a negative in regards to people will be like oh you know that backwards in a negative way that backwards you know uh, place or that backwards language, you know, it doesn't make sense. And it's like, well, no, it just doesn't make sense to you or it's, you know, unfamiliar to you. And yeah, I think it could be detrimental to just have that idea that, you know, English is the central kind of language and everything else spawns from there. I, I've heard people who are native, uh, who aren't native English speakers, and they've said like English is one of the hardest languages to learn. It doesn't make a lot of sense that our rules are kind of, you know, backwards in that way. And then when you learn, like for myself, when I started to learn Spanish, I was like, there seems to be a lot more for me, it seemed like there were very logical rules to it a lot of times. It was very nice uh, that it was so organized and structured and actually helped me learn it where people who aren't native speakers, they've asked me sometimes questions throughout the year. Like, well, why would you say that phrasing? Or like, why is it that way? And I'm like, I don't know. And now that you point it out, that does sound kind of weird in that way. So yeah, I can definitely uh, empathize when it seems as though, you know, it, this is the norm or this is the dominant, yet it doesn't make a lot of sense. So yeah. So now you have, did you, when did you learn English? Because I'm guessing of the three of us, you were the one who spoke Farsi growing up and, and then learned English. Right. In, uh, in junior high, starting in junior high, and in many schools from elementary school, but mostly private schools. But I went to public school, and two, three languages are mandatory to learn. Uh, for us, was Farsi, Arabic, and English from junior high. And you had English since, I mean, I had English since I was in junior high all the way to high school. And when I came here in during my high school year, um, I, I knew intermediate level of English, let's say, when you compare from someone who's learning the language, um, because it's still there's so many things you don't know, even though you've been um, involved with language for years. So you learn differently here, especially conversation more. But we learned grammar and we learned the spelling. And that's why I was good in grammar language. But then when I picked up the spoken language in two, three months, um, I knew a deeper level of English because of the grammar I had studied all these years and also uh, dictation or spelling. Uh, but still, it took a while to really get a lot of idioms and also uh, pick up the, um, you know, uh, the language by listening. But talking about language being different, we write from right to left, and it's completely different. It's not Latin language. That's why our alphabet is different. 
So it's more difficult for someone who comes from this language background to learn something completely opposite. And also in, in Farsi language, um, which we call Persian in all the cyclopedia or dictionary, uh, Farsi is the word we say in our language. So Persian is the correct language in English. So when you learn um, Persian, you learn a different alphabet completely. And then you write from right to left opposite of English. And the adjective and nouns are opposite like Spanish. The adjective comes after noun, opposite of English that adjective comes um, before noun, like green dress. We say dress green. Um, so um, it's very different. So it takes a while for people who have that language to learn. But the point that today I wanted to um, talk about was um, many of our children who are the second generation of immigrants, or we call it one and a half. That means they were born here, but from parents who immigrated as first immigrant, um, they, um, some of them, they have lost their language and some they can speak it, they can understand it, but they can't write or they can't read. So there's so many examples of people that, um, you know, they were raised and, and born here that they lost their mother tongue. And um, because I studied linguistic and because I was a teacher in bilingual um, world, um, and I was very involved in our district with bilingual education. I was always in all different meetings and sort of involved in the language department. Um, I realized how much is important to keep your mother tongue for many reasons. One of them is your own identity. And one of them is connection to other generations and other family background. And when you travel back to your country, how important it is to keep the language. So I know academically and I know research based and I know so many stories. And I was also going around the state and teaching teachers um, about this and about the importance of when you have, because 25% of the student in the state of California are the second language learners. They come from, it's one out of eight, uh, one out of four, which is a huge number in California. And we are dealing with the students all over different districts and different parts of the state that there's, uh, they come from background different than, um, you know, the language and culture of um, United States. So it is important to, first of all, understand their identity, understand their language, and also understand the importance of keeping the mother tongue. And, and I have a stories that when I was academically studying linguistic um, around, you know, what happens when a grandmother or a mother or father, um, when they have uh, the stroke, they lose their they lose their second language and they have the first language and the family and especially the children cannot speak to them because they don't know that language and they have to get translator they have to get a caretaker who can be the translator while taking care of the mother or father to speak to the children very sad stories around that line and that's why um, I 
always, always recommended to people that they came newly to this country and they were talking to me. I told them how important it is to teach your language to your children and try to bring them up as bilingual because just think about it. In the United States, in Army, in all um, fields that I know, they spend so much money to teach Americans uh, another language. So why not raising kids that are already bilingual and it helps this country? Uh, and now I, I had many students from, let's say, Russian uh, country, the um from different parts of the world, but specifically after the fall of Russia, many students came from different parts of uh, uh, United um, the Soviet. So uh, the beauty of, of their culture was that they all wanted to keep the language. And as a teacher, I always told the parents, don't let your newly born children in this country lose their language and their culture because they're, it's such a rich, um, you know, value in a human being to be able to connect with many other people around the world rather than specific to where they are. So I have so many um, stories to tell you, not only of my own experience, um, but also from other people. But I raised my children completely bilingual, and I knew that how important it is they can speak and they can understand and they can read and write, even though if it's little, it's not deep, but at least they can read and write. I have a, I have a response to that, but yeah, maybe after the break, because yeah, I think it's, it's sometimes it goes beyond, it's not a, a choice. And I think as we mentioned, you know, the, the language is lost. And so, yeah, it can be being a third generation individual myself and, and Dan, I know you're removed generationally as well. Um, yeah, there, there's, I think there's another side to it too, but I totally agree with what you say. I wish that was true of me. I wish I learned it. Um, but yeah, I think there are a lot of factors that sometimes go into that. All right. We come back after the break and continue our conversation.
We're back with Dr. Alexandrani and Dr. Daniel Rockers, and we continue our conversation about language, about raising children bilingual or multilingual, um, and uh, the benefits of having different culture and different languages, um, you know, when you are growing up. I know Dr. Andrade and Dr. Rockers, uh, who have also other backgrounds, and they're maybe third, fourth generation uh, living in this country. Um, both of you, I know you've lost your language, uh, but I know the connection to the culture skills is with you because I know Dr. Rockers constantly talks about German um, and the engineering of Germans and also, uh, you know, so many things about Germans. And I know Dr. Andrade has such a connection with his um, cultural background. Uh, so I like to talk about this because both of you have lost your languages. Uh, how do you feel about that? I mean, because this is a good example for other people who are listening to us, um, you know, the importance of um, raised, being raised with other languages as well. Yeah, I, I, again, I totally agree to everything that you mentioned in regards to emphasizing and encouraging parents to teach their children their, their mother language. I think what happens a part of being in a new environment in a new culture, especially when you're young, you're, you're drawn to the dominant, you're drawn to what others are doing, you want to fit in, I think more than stand out. So as a child, if you're being immersed in a in an English speaking and English prioritizing kind of environment, you're, you know, you, you don't have the mental ability to even really weigh like, oh, this is going to benefit me more later. And this connects me with my culture. It's like, no, I want to be like my friends. I want to, I want to watch what they're watching and play the games that they're playing. We want to be included. I think as people, it's a very fundamental part of us. We are social creatures. And so I think what happens is, and I've seen this happen to people too, as they're at home speaking one language and at school speaking another language where it feels as though it's it's it allows them to connect and to be included. They'll prioritize that sometimes over others, and not even again. It's not a conscious decision, um, but I think if and, and again, I can see I've I've heard from parents too how frustrating it could be. It can feel as though you know it's it's not worth the fight, and kind of just being like, all right, that's fine. We'll just speak English. It's easier in that way. And so I think it is really upon parents again to say, well, no, let's let's continue this in a way that it doesn't have to be a punishment or something where it's like, no, this is what we're going to do, but make it like a game or part of, you know, just, you know, we do this at dinner. We'll still, you know, talk in, you know, our, our mother language, something where it doesn't feel as though you have to choose. I think nobody likes ultimatums. And if you give a child an ultimatum between their friends and doing what your mom and dad tell you to do, I mean, that's, that's an easy one for any young person. Uh, and I think as, as somebody who's lost it, it's funny too, because my family will tell me they remember when I was like a toddler, a young, uh, where I can speak Spanish and I can respond uh, and understand people speaking to me in Spanish. Um, but then at, at a certain point, that wasn't continued. That The dialogue with me was primarily in English. And so I end up losing that. Uh, and it's it's kind of, if for me, yes, how I feel about it, it's, it's kind of frustrating um, to not be able to have that connection with my culture on that deeper level. I would say I'm missing out on 
great movies. I'm missing out on probably great music. Um, I, I do identify as Mexican American and a lot of the, you know, Spanish and the Latin, you know, music and movies and things like that. They, they, they resonate with me, even though I can't quite understand the language. Uh, and I've taken classes and, you know, some of it I'm able to grasp on. I always say I can, I know all the, all the good foods, all the bad words, and I know how to order a beer in Spanish. And so it's like the essentials, if you will. Uh, but yeah, it does at times, uh, I feel like a, an insult or a slight when people are like, Oh, you don't speak Spanish. What's wrong with you? And I was like, you know what, show me a, a four-year-old or a five-year-old who tells their parent, Hey, you know what? Keep teaching me. I need to learn this because it's going to help me later on in life. Like we don't, it's, it's not a conscious choice that I'm like, I've never been like, I'm not going to speak that language. That's disgusting. Or, you know, it's like, no, it was, it wasn't something I chose. It's something that happened to me. And I say that because parents who are maybe feeling frustrated, annoyed, challenged by their children, not wanting to do that, not wanting to continue the language or having a preference for English, try to put your, your, yourself in their shoes where it feels as though everybody around them is encouraging kind of one thing, you know, how can you, still encourage that culture, that language in a way that allows you to feel connected and include it versus it being, you know, opposite of what everybody else is doing. Uh, you know, that's for me, I think would have maybe made a difference. It's hard to say, but, uh, you know, it's just something that happened to me. I lost my language. It's, it's like you lose your keys. You don't plan it. It just happens, you know, and, and unfortunately I lost something that uh, has, has influenced a lot of what I've had access to in my life, both media as well as even relationships, uh, you know, family who, you know, live in Mexico who I've never met and I can't even have a conversation with. So it's, it's sad in that way that those things are sometimes lost. And again, not a choice. Can you say more about that, how movies resonate with you? When you say they resonate with you, what mm. does that mean? Because I have a <laughs> comment about from my own experience going to Germany, but tell me what, what does it mean for you? Yeah, I think especially music, movies as well, but music too. It's just, it sounds, I don't even want to say familiar, but it just, I, I like how it sounds. I just like how it sounds. It, it, it sounds, it just sounds familiar in that way. And maybe it was, you know, the, the, you know, hearing my grandparents speak it, you know, in that sense of, you know, connection with them uh, to hear a certain family member speak it kind of growing up, maybe that, you know, it, maybe there's something primal in that, like that was, one of the first, you know, experiences I've had with, you know, family and, you know, it just, it feels, it feels like I should know it, one of those things, but I don't, but it, I, it's like a, a yearning in a way. And yeah, I, I always say like, I'll, I listen to a lot of Mexican music actually too. And people are like, why do you listen to that? You don't even understand what they're saying. And I'm like, I pick out a couple of words, but I just like how it sounds. I like the the instruments. I like the beat of it. Uh, you know, even just the words. Uh, it you know, it sounds beautiful in that way. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's not something I could quantify it necessarily, but it it feels a way. And also, what you said, uh, you know, when uh, I know in psychology we say the reason maybe we don't remember from uh, age. Um, you know, we, uh, because the language hasn't um, established. That's why we don't recall what happened, but then maybe somewhere in our um, limbic system, the emotions of those time still exist in us. That's why Alex, you could connect somehow emotionally 
because um, we know that until the language doesn't happen in a child, the memories are not recalled. But still, this, in the world of psychology, they haven't figured out what happens from birth to the time that language actually is happening in a child. During that time, maybe there's a lot of memory in our limbic system that kicks in when you watch a movie or when you're in a place that recalls some of those memories that you don't even know what it is because your language wasn't enough to recall those memories in a, in a world of language and words. But maybe somewhere in your, um, in your uh, emotions, there's a place for it that restored those memories of um, your life. And Dan, you said you had a similar kind of experience yourself? I did. When I visited Germany, I can remember specifically going in one of the beer halls there. And as I walked in, that was so familiar, the sounds and the smells. And it just felt so familiar. And it did not feel like I was in a foreign country at all. It just felt like this fit. And there were other things too. I don't recall them right offhand, but it was just something resonated with me. And I just felt it deep inside, like, oh yeah, this is comfortable. This fits. This it, it feels very nice. Yeah. And I just I it was like I recognized it, even though I had never been there before. It was like a recognition. I think there's something in previous programs we've talked about intergenerational trauma. You know, and a lot of African-Americans talk about that, that that the trauma from slavery or being brought over is passed on intergenerationally and almost it may be genetically, it may be culturally, it may be socially. However, that works. I don't think we really know. But the idea is that intergenerational transfer of experience happens and I suspect some of that is what you're talking about, is what I was talking about. It, it, that's what happened to us. And it's like, that's, that's that resonating. It's like, oh, it's a recognition. Oh, yeah, that fits. Yeah, that's a great point. Why can't it happen the other way? In a, in a, with those positive things, with those things that feel good and nurturing and, and yeah, very, very connected. I think it's, it's part of the identity. It's part of who you are. It's part of who we are. And I remember, especially since um, we were uh, uh, about like 21, 22 teachers who were going around teaching cultural language to teachers so that they could teach other uh, children. And they had to actually pass a test and get um, the board exam they had. We had to work with them intensively to get their board exam passed and also to teach them how to deal with children of second language or other cultures. And I remember we had some people like Alex and like you, Dan, in our group who were so connected to this um, bilingual bilingualism, but they were lost, um, they had lost their language and culture. And I remember in one of our meetings that was very sensitive and we were talking deeply about this. And I remember one of, um, we, I call her a friend because we ceiling is in communication. She is a, a Mexican background. She stood up and she cried. She cried and she said, I am so sad that I have lost my language 
because I am so connected to my background and I feel so bad that I'm teaching these children who speak another language from my language and I can't speak to them. I, I go to movies, as Alex, you were saying, so many stories that she was just saying. And we had actually a teacher who um, was second generation German. And what she was uh, telling us was that uh, her parents came during the time that um, it was no, no to speak another language, but speak um, English. And she said they were always whispering to each other in German language. And we were raised completely with English language. We went to school and we lost our language. But it happened that her mother um, had a stroke and lost her first language, uh, lost her second language and could only speak German. So she said, I remember that we looked a lot around to find someone who could translate between my mom and me. And she was crying to say this story. She said, imagine how sad it was for us that we couldn't speak to our own mother and somebody else had to translate for us because she had lost that language. And then also another person was saying similar stories about a person um, who came here as an uh, immigrant, um, a, an engineer from Mexico City who came here and was hired in Berkeley and had two children. The older was 12 years old. The second child was about nine or 10 and they had a newborn here. The last person who was born here lost the language and then somehow they happened to go back and that child had a very difficult time to get acquainted with the language and culture. And uh, the other two children who had some of the language and culture was trying to help the little one to get back to the culture and language. So many stories. And I personally think if I didn't know all these backgrounds, if I wasn't studying bilingualism, I may not have done what I did to my children. I probably would have done the same as other people and let them just grow here and, and maybe they had lose, lost their language. But because I knew what was going on, maybe that was a good thing that I had the knowledge. And that's why I was very persistent. I was just on Saturdays, take my children to school so that they could learn Persian language. And constantly I was talking about the identity that, you know, your background is this, the importance of knowing the language, the importance of being able to have access to more information from both languages. I constantly was talking to them as a child and I made them be proud of both cultures and both languages so that they really grew up um, so they can grow up uh, experiencing the new culture and language, and also just be proud of their own identity. I remember in one of our talks, we talked about the importance of our names. And I constantly talked about their names and what it means and why that name is important because it's part of their identity. And I remember at one point they were in high school and, and they, they were so happy they had a name that was different. And they came and to me and they said, mom, you know, I'm the only one in the entire school who has a different name. 
but it took a long time. So they realized, as Alex, you were saying, I know I'm sure there were times that they wanted to fit in. They wanted to be completely, maybe when their friends came to our home and they had parents who had accent, maybe they weren't so happy about it. But I constantly talked about that. I constantly, you know, brought them to the importance of understanding what's going on. And um, I guess, honestly, I was, I'm, I'm just saying, if I didn't know all this, I probably would have done what your parents did, you know, what other parents did. But um, I always shared this knowledge in our community. I always talked to any parents who came to me and talked to me. I even at school when I was working, I was constantly talking to other teachers, telling them, make sure the kids are proud of their name, make sure the kids are proud of their identity, make sure encourage them to keep their languages. Because when they hear from a teacher other than their parents, when they hear from other authorities at school, um, they appreciate their culture and language. Maybe they look at it differently than if it's the opposite. So at least it's a choice because I know in my family, I have nieces and nephews that with all they know about this, they still want their kids just have uh, English language and uh, English names. And, you know, at least it's a choice, you know, so let people know and then let them decide. You know, my own niece um, was 16 years old when one trip went to Iran. And at one point, um, uh, you know, they were at a restaurant and people were making um, presentations or entertainment was going on. All of a sudden she started crying and their parents said, why are you crying? They were thinking maybe she's not happy here. Maybe she wants to go back or whatever. And she said, no, I am crying because you didn't teach me the language and culture. I feel like I've lost something all my life that I feel like, you know, why didn't you guys, you know, teach me this culture? I, I appreciate it, but I don't understand it. And she was just crying at 16, age 16, um, you know, accusing her parents. Why didn't you teach me the language and culture? And now I'm here. And I want to know, uh, this is this is a beautiful culture. This people are so nice to me and I can't connect. We got to the uh, um, break right now. We come back and continue our conversation about language and culture.
We're back with Dr. Alexandradi and Dr. Daniel Rockers. We continue our conversation about language and culture. Each of us have a background different than um, each other. And that's the beauty of what we work together with the understanding of culture and languages. Uh, and today we have the opportunity to bring back our background and cultures and discuss to our listeners as well and share actually our discussion with our listeners. I want to go back to what you mentioned earlier about identity. I think it's so true that in general, the trajectory of like a young person, a child, a young person, an adult is that of gaining and developing one's identity and our culture, our language are, are kind of central parts to that. Uh, naturally, as people, I think we compare and contrast. And it's at times when you realize that like this is something that is there or was is a part of your history or your culture and then that's not there for you i think you go through a very unique stage of of trying to reconcile that i know for myself there was a point where i was really struggling with the idea that i wasn't able to have that as just part of myself i felt like a a loss in a way and it was even more challenging because i was having to understand the historical uh, factors that influence that. Uh, for example, I remember one time asking my grandmother, <clears throat> I was like in my early late teens, early twenties. And I was like, you know, I am taking the Spanish class. You know, I was wondering if I could speak Spanish with you. I was living or living with her at the time. And she was like, um, you know, you don't need to know Spanish. And that was it. That was, that was, that was the only explanation she gave. Um, but I, through the years was able to learn that, you know, she, came to the U.S., grew up in a U.S. Weather time where if you had an accent, if you spoke Spanish, it was more a negative thing. And so my mom doesn't know much Spanish. And so she wasn't able to teach me much Spanish. And then when I was around family who spoke Spanish, you know, that was, you know, not something that they spoke to me. So a lot of times it's like I would see my grandmother speak Spanish to somebody. And then when she talked to me, she'd speak to me in English. And so it was almost like this, this separation, like, I'm talking to you, you know, and, and then I'm talking to others. And so I didn't have to learn it. There was no push, encouragement, uh, even support in some ways to, to do that. And so I've had to integrate and develop my own identity as being semi-familiar with it, but not quite knowing in that way. Um, even my name, my legal name is Alejandro. And, you know, and my last name is Andrade. And I've even had people, you know, kind of comment, oh, you say your last name wrong. Like, it's not Andrade, it's Andrade. Like, you roll your R's. And even Alejandro, it's like, no, it's not, you know, Alejandro, it's Alejandro. And, you know, people telling me how I should say my name when, you know, I grew up in a classroom where somebody would, you know, the teacher would ask for Alejandro, you know, and, you know, kids would laugh and, you know, they'd be, I'd be a little embarrassed and, be like, oh, no, I just call me Alex. Just go call me Alex. You know, it just felt comfortable. It felt safer in that way. Otherwise, my identity would be like that kid people are laughing at, or they don't know how to say his name, which would ostracize me and separate me from others. And I didn't want that. Alex, Alex is easy to say. Alex was familiar, um, and so it's it's something that became kind of a part of my identity that way. And even when I like call places, I'll call my insurance and, you know, it's like, oh yeah, Alex Andrade. I mean, Alejandro, like it's, it's not a, a part of my identity in that way of, you know, if you were to ask me what my name is automatically, I'll say Alex. 
Um, but if you see my ID, it says, oh, Alejandro. I'm like, oh, yeah, I, yeah, I go by Alex. And so, yeah, it's just that's what that new identity is. And, and again, a lot of it relates to language. Did you create that yourself? Did you come up with that, Alex? Or did somebody say, why don't you use Alex? It's easier. How did that come about? Yeah, great question. Uh, my biological father goes by Alex. And so, and I'm a junior. So it was just, you know, Alex is what you go by kind of thing. So I don't ever remember it being a conscious choice. Uh, it was just, you know, Alex. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot to say about that. And um, mm. I really, I mean, I think once we talked about um, identity and the importance of feeling comfortable with who you are. And I know we go through phases. I have to be honest, when I was in high school, uh, I wanted to be one of the others. And I wanted to really um, speak the language the way they did. I wanted to have a name different. You know, we all go through phases. And I'm sure my kids, maybe they never shared, but I'm sure they probably have gone through stages of this feeling embarrassed, feeling wanna, wanna, want to be one of the others, like others. Um, and then also, you know, kids, you can't really prevent joking um, and jokes and things that they say. I mean, it took me a long time to understand when they joke around, when they read, it's when you, they like you, otherwise they ignore you, you know. And I remember many times my friends were laughing and joking with me about me, uh, but it took me a long time to understand and accept and realize. And then as when you start your professional job, you also feel like, oh, I have a different last name. People have a hard time to call my name. I mean, so many issues that you go through um, when uh, you, you know, you're actually fighting all the time with this is who I am, but this is what the society wants of me. And I have to really stand strong. And, and I'm sure my kids have gone through that and are going through that as well. But it's something that I think parents need to talk about this with children. So at least they know what they go through. But I'm sure, you know, it's not easy, I have to admit, and I'm sure, you know, many people who come to me as patients, and especially younger generation from um, Persian community, sometimes they share with me all these issues they go through, and the difficulty when they, they were growing up. The first question I always, you know, ask is like, tell me about your past, tell me about when you were in elementary school, talk to me about what was going on when you were in school. And I tell you, as soon as they get comfortable, then they start sharing. There's so much they share. There's so much obstacle they have gone through. So it's it's not an easy ride. It's, it's very difficult. As immigrant, you go through so much. And I was actually, when I was growing up, uh, all around us were schools, German school, um, American schools, um, uh, we were in a location that um, it was a pretty nice area. And usually uh, people from different country, when they came, they started their schools there. They started their um, living places there. So all around us were people from Germany, from United States, from a United Kingdom. And I never thought what they go through. You know, I'm sure living in our country at the time, 
when I was raised, there were so many people from all over the country living there. I never, ever thought, you know, what they go through. But then when I came here, I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm sure they had similar issues when they were being raised in another country, that the culture was totally different from theirs. Well, there is the it's a com this idea of identity is complex because on the one hand, our job as a human being is to become independent. Yet at the same time, we want to also be included or feel a part of. So we have the individual who wants needs to be developmentally, needs to become independent from family, yet wants to be included in the family wants to be included in their social group at school and also probably wants to be included in society in general. So we have a lot of competing things and one's identity is combined of this in, within these things of being independent and being who I am, yet also being included or not included in other groups. And there's a lot of competing values in all that. So for kids, they want to become independent from, and unfortunately, I think one of those ways can be not to learn the native language. It may not be cool if your social group doesn't speak that language. That is true. But also, I want to, uh, being in school for years, I want to also um, tell you guys, I'm sure you know, that so many people, even from born in this country, generations um, of, um, you know, Americans here, they go through different issues uh, growing up. They, they go through phases. They want to fit in. They, I mean, there's so many issues as a person you go through, but there's certain issues you go through as second-generation immigrant or first-generation immigrant. Um, so it's not like the world is perfect for people who were in this country and going to school. I know stories after stories about other American kids that they go through phases and, and problems that they have at school from uh, being bullied, from, you know, being laughed at for different reasons, uh, not their name, but so many other things, you know. So there are always issues. And I guess, you know, this is part of growing up because as we become independent and go to school for hours and leaving our homes, as even kindergartner or first grader and uh, going up to growing up to going to uh, junior high and high school. I mean, those are places that you are bombarded, but all these, you know, issues that you have to deal with. And sometimes I wonder, because I remember I was going through a lot myself, you know, just like, for example, you are, um, being taken well care of at home. And then all of a sudden you go to school and the teacher doesn't know you and deals with you differently. And if you're sensitive, you just go, oh my gosh, you know, what's going on? Um, I'm a spoiled kid coming from home. And then now the teacher is telling me this and that. So, and you never bring it back to home. I wonder sometimes, even as a child, uh, that sense of pride that you don't want to come back home and complain, you know. Uh, and I remember my son uh, once, it, it was just a couple of years ago, said something about when he was in fifth grade. And I said, oh, my gosh, you never mentioned that. And, and he goes, yeah, I was I had so much pride. I didn't want to come back and tell you. But I mean, 
this is as a human being who we are. We take so much in, even as a child, and we never share. Um, we are at the end of our conversation. I know it's one of those heated conversation that I have so much to share, and I'm sure each of you the same. So we got to the end of our program. And uh, as usual, we want to end with each of us say a statement for our listeners as a summary of our conversation. I say learn your um, heritage language. It will always benefit you. I I second that. I, I feel like it's too, though. It's it's hard. And again, I think it's it's one of those things where I've taken so many Spanish classes. It's not even funny. I probably have taken like, <laughs> honestly, like six or seven Spanish classes. And I remember briefly one time I was discouraged right as they were taking role. The teacher read my name, Alejandro Andrade, and then immediately said, well, you should already speak Spanish. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, great. Like this is, this is the environment that I'm being welcomed into. Uh, and so yeah, I think it's, it's difficult when, you know, you've lost that in, in recognizing that, you know, that, that there's those, those barriers or challenges to, to learning a new language. It's not easy. The whole, I think the older you get, the harder it is. Sometimes, you know, your life feels busy. You don't have time to do that. I, I would say, you know, I, I echo what you say, Daniel, in regards to learning it. But I think sometimes even that, that first starting point is like, even just reflecting on why would you want to learn that? And what about, like, what part of the language would be of most interest to you or most engaging? Even if it's like exploring the foods or geographically, you know, learning where you're from and where the places are called, you know, start with something that feels like you can, it can, it can almost immediately add to your life or give you something versus waiting until you know the language to kind of do that. So it's a bring that reward of why you're doing it into the very beginning. So that way you're curious, you're interested and you're motivated. And that can maybe propel, you know, learning that language even more. Um, and, and then from there, it can feel like, yeah, there's a reason why. And I, I, I'm gaining the benefits right now and be patient with yourself, be patient, be compassionate. Um, you know, if, if you feel as though that's, you know, something that's being encouraged by, you know, family, as I mentioned earlier, even talking with them about like what your experience was in that way, I didn't choose not to learn it. You know, maybe it wasn't something that was, uh, you know, uh, emphasized or spoken in the way that, you know, you mentioned Saidi, which is great. Um, so that way, maybe it's something that, you know, family can be supportive of and encouraging versus it being, oh, well, you never learned it. or Oh, you know, you're, you're, you're being difficult in some way. And then maybe that can be something as a family, again, that sense of connection that really allows you to feel, you know, brought in in a whole new way that adds to your life. Yeah. When I was teaching in college, I had many, um, and college students who were Persian and they were learning Persian actually. And um, more than half of the class were Americans. And I was always wondering why do they want to learn Persian? But there are different reasons somewhere in the country uh, where from army, some were related to Americans and they were to Persians and they wanted to learn. But in any ways, I want to say, um, I have so much to talk about this, but the only thing I want to say is Please be proud of who you are, no matter from what culture, from what background. Just be proud who you are because this is this is who you really are. 
and you can change that background of who you are. So be proud. And I just want to let the parents who are just uh, raising children to tell them, teach your children the language, the mother tongue, because at one point they're going to get the benefit. The, even if they never use it, at least they know something that adds to them. Um, so with that, I want to say goodbye. And we come back next week and we talk about another topic. Have a wonderful week and we see you next. We talk to you next week. Thank you. رادیو بامداد صدای ما و شما با زبانی آشنا